explain again. Well, it's very simple. When I die, you die. And everybody in this world dies because this world does not exist. It's a dream of mine. It's a nightmare. Can't you understand that? No, Grant, I can't understand it. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys um, uh, didn't, um, I don't know, take any weird bets last week and cut your vocal cords or get out of any helicopters dangerously. It was it was a it was a messed up time. I hope you guys got through it. Yeah, I was going to say, I hope you guys enjoyed the silence. Yeah. <laughs> They, prob- they anyway. probably preferred it to the six days between episodes. Yeah. You know, it's all I ever wanted. It's all I ever needed. That's not even that song. Yeah. So, um, all right. So this one, uh, this episode, I can't wait to talk about it. It's called shadow play. It's season two, episode 26 air dates, <clears throat> May 5th, 1961. Number one film at the time was returned to Peyton place. And I just want to mention that, of the weird corners of Wikipedia, sometimes you find stuff that you're like, I, I think there's something more going on here. Um, this is a, a line from the paragraph describing the film on the page. It says, the movie's plot bears no resemblance to the plot of the novel. Apparently, the previous editors of this page has never read Return to Peyton Place, or the movie's total disconnect from the novel would certainly have been mentioned before now. Uh <laughs> Grace uh, Metalios, who wrote, um, I guess, the book, whatever, must have been seriously impaired by heavy drinking to have consented to let Hollywood completely rewrite the plot of her novel. Someone <laughs> is angry about the original author of the page for Return to Peyton Place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've never seen the movie, nor have I read the book. So I, I just like the, um, I just like that they per, they took the time to write this, and that this is such a just not scathing. <laughs> it's, just, uh, <laughs> it's it's not a page that's visited often, right? So of course it's going to hang out there. Um, it, so I, I love I love Wikipedia updates or changes that kind of linger. I, and this is one of those ones where someone was angry about whoever wrote the original article. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Just a personal attacks at the author of Peyton's place. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So number one song is still runaway by Del Shannon. That's, that's a good song. It should stay number one. Um, and so I didn't find anything newsworthy for the air date, but two days before, actually I lied. I did. I didn't look at my notes. It's been a while since I wrote these. So on May 3rd, uh, the U S federal minimum wage was raised to a dollar 25 per hour. Uh, at that point. So the minimum wage got raised in the sixties to dollar 25 per hour. So that, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. and, uh, May 3rd is also my birthday. So look at that. There we go. So they knew I'd be born, uh, years late. I don't know. They're like, you know what? To celebrate Kevin's birth, we're going to get people a buck 25 an hour. That's yeah, like, yeah. like 
like 25 years later. <laughs> yeah. So uh, May 5th, uh, I wrote 2018. That's not right. 1961, Mer- uh, the Mercury program at 9:34 a.m. Alan Shepard became the first American in space as Freedom Seven lifted off from Cape Canaveral. Shepard's rocket reached an altitude of 150 miles without achieving orbit, and was recovered 19 minutes later by the aircraft carrier, the USS Lake Champlain. That's not all important. Alan Shepard was in space. Shows they were taking steps, getting closer to what would eventually happen. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, and it. I, I like that we cover all the space history on the show because eventually it's going to pay off. <laughs> eventually, yeah, it's it's the long game. And Alan Shepard was paid a dollar twenty five per hour for his services as an astronaut. <laughs> Got paid less than the dinosaur a few episodes ago, <laughs> right? <laughs> to actually go into space. Uh, cool. So we'll jump into cast and crew here. Uh, this episode was directed by uh, one of our favorite directors on the Twilight Zone, John Bram, who directed Time Enough at Last, Judgment Night, Four of Us Are Dying, Mirror Image, Nice Place to Visit, and most recently, Mr. Dingle the Strong. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll get into our thoughts on I'm. this is a big step up for him from Mr. Dingle the Strong as Absolutely. far as visuals, yep. uh, but we'll get into that. This episode was written by Charles Beaumont, which I'm very excited about uh, Return for him, it was based on a short story by the name of Traumerei, uh, which is German for Daydream, that was published in a science fiction magazine called Infinity Science Fiction in February 1956. And I did get a chance to check out that short story. So I, I, I'll, I'll probably speak about that when we get to the end of this plot. It's pretty similar. Um, it seems like he l- didn't like some of the decisions he made when he wrote the short story. So when he wrote the teleplay, um, he corrected the problems with it. Hmm. And uh, and the ending of the short story goes a little bit to more surreal places that probably would have been difficult for them to do for this show. Uh, so that's probably another reason why it got changed. But it's pretty similar overall. Okay. I'm interested to hear uh, where that went. So that'll, that'll be cool. Um, yeah, so uh, the, who, who do we have acting in this wonderful affair? Yes, we have uh, Dennis Weaver, who plays Adam Grant. Uh, his biggest role was McLeod, uh, Sam McLeod in the TV show McLeod, uh, obviously. This was his only Twilight Zone appearance. He was also in A Touch of Evil with Orson Welles and Charleston Heston and uh, had a pretty big reoccurring role on Gunsmoke. Yeah, and he was also in uh, Steven Spielberg's first film, Duel, playing yeah, the lead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, being you know chased by an anonymous truck driver. Which, if you guys not seen Duel, it's for a TV film, which was also based upon a Richard Matheson script uh, screenplay. So there's another Twilight Zone connection. Mm-hmm. It it is it, it punches way above its weight. It's it's a yeah, good film. Dennis Weaver is good at it. Jaws with a truck. <laughs> yes, truck Jaws coming soon. <laughs> Yep, so uh, definitely the biggest actor in this episode. Next up, we have Harry Towns, who plays Henry Ritchie, who we talked about as the lead character in The Four of Us Are Dying, also directed by John Bram as Arch Hammer. Um, so go back if you want to hear us cover his uh, filmography, most mostly TV work, if I'm not mistaken. Johnny Midnight, but yeah, we'll, we'll move on. There That's you fine. go. Yep. Uh, next up, we have Wright King, which is a sweet name. Uh, I would go by <laughs> The Wright King. <laughs> or if, my if, entire if, life. if you're being called <laughs> if you're being called in school it's like king right that's correct absolutely yeah <laughs> or if uh if you don't like the way he's behaving you call him wrong king oh um yeah so he plays the 
editor in the episode, Paul Carson. And he was in one other future episode of The Twilight Zone. He was also in Planet of the Apes and the TV movie Helter Skelter, which I am sort of a fan of. <laughs> uh, it's not the best thing, but uh, it's interesting. He was also in Charles Manson. Invasion of the B-Girls. So just want to oh, point yeah. out there. That's a classic, uh, classic sci-fi I film. I mean, I feel like people were really worried about B-Girls at one point affecting the world. And this film was just, you know, foretelling what would happen when the B-Girls invade. So I think he was really doing a service. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah. It's a, it's a strange movie. <laughs> I've seen the trailer. They I show think that. Vinegar Syndrome just put that out on Blu-ray like yeah. last year, I, I which think- is a strange choice (laughs) whenever um whenever alamo draft house was like showing uh when they let roar play right i think when we when when you and i went to go see it at the cleveland cinemas i think this is they they played the trailer for this in front of roar yeah you're right yeah yeah but uh vinegar syndrome yeah they did just put out that blu-ray i think um well i gotta see it i gotta i gotta know how the invasion turns out well good news cinema wasteland is coming up here in cleveland so Oh, no, they put out the bees. Okay, wrong one. Wrong one. How could I mistake those two great films? Uh, we'll move on then. So next up, we have William Edmondson, who plays the character of Jiggs. He was also the bartender in What You Need. So I believe we talked about him on there. Uh, not too much to talk about in his filmography, though. He just berated that pitcher uh, at the bar. Like, basically, yeah. just, they just, <laughs> just made fun of that guy and tore him down. Yep. Uh, next up, we have Anne Barton, who plays the wife, Carol Ritchie, and she was in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, and she was also one of the neighbors on The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. Hashtag Night Milk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, not sure if we talked about her on that episode, but here we go. Anne Barton, we're giving you your due now. Yes. Uh, next up, we have Bernie Hamilton, who plays Coley who I very short role in this, very small role, uh, but I want to bring him up because... He was in uh, two of my favorite Fred Williamson movies, Bucktown and Hammer. And I'm sitting below a uh, a lobby card of Hammer right now. So I, I felt like I needed to bring that up. And this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. And yep. then lastly, for my notes, I have Mac Williams, who plays Father Beeman, uh, not Father Bemis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was in... The original Cape Fear, one episode of the of Hawaiian Eye, and this was his only Twilight oh, Zone. Oh, I didn't pick up the Hawaiian Eye. That's on me. Yeah, so, so got um, the trifecta now. They're right. So I was going to mention Twilight Zone, Johnny Midnight, and Hawaiian Eye. Uh, Bernie Hamilton, uh, he was also most known for being the captain of Starsky and Hutch. And he oh, was in a okay. film. Yeah. Uh, the did, <laughs> I was so concerned about uh, Hammer and Bucktown that I, I didn't even notice it. And this is a film you could probably speak to that I have not seen. Scream, Blackula Scream. So yes. he was. Yeah, I wrote that down. But I again, I was too caught up on Bucktown and <laughs> Hammer. Um, yeah, I, I like the Blackula series. They're goofy. But uh, I highly recommend Bucktown and Hammer, though. Oh, I, I know you've talked about the Bucktown before on um, previous works that you've done. So, I, yeah, I, I'm aware of it. Uh, so I also want to mention just because some of uh, some weird things here. Tommy Nello plays Phillips. I'm not sure who that is. All I know is he was in a film called Cop Hater. I like that as the name of a film. Like, watch <laughs> out for that guy. He's a cop hater. And then Gene Roth, who was the judge in the beginning of the episode, he was in multiple Three Stooges shorts, usually as an authority figure. 
Um, so that goes back to like, you know, not, not that the three stooges are that far gone from the twilight zone, but it's definitely earlier. And then you get somebody like Dennis Weaver, who he actually appeared in an episode of the Simpsons, which I know the Simpsons are in the 28th year now. It just shows you kind of like the breadth of like the width of the twilight zone and people associated with it from the three stooges up to the Simpsons. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I can I can totally see that judge running around with like a nightstick chasing the three stooges <laughs> <Yeah>. around. Like, <laughs> yeah, so I thought that, that he, he just never had like he never had like a credited role. He was just always somebody that was just upset with the stooges and their antics. <laughs> yeah, I can see it. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that's it for your cast and crew. So we should just let uh, Serling take it away. Adam Grant, a nondescript kind of man found guilty of murder and sentenced to the electric chair. Like every other criminal caught in the wheels of justice, he's scared, right down to the marrow of his bones. But it isn't prison that scares him, the long, silent nights of waiting, the slow walk to the little room, or even death itself. It's something else that holds Adam Grant in the hot, sweaty grip of fear. Something worse than any punishment this world has to offer. Something found only in the Twilight Zone. So it was certainly a witness to the murder that the, that we're talking about here because he was definitely in uh, the box beside the judge when he was telling the yeah. story. And he looked really excited to be there. <laughs> he, like, he looked almost giddy uh, <laughs> when they cut to him in the witness stand. It, it he was, was really it was proud good, of that setup. It was a good camera move, and I dug it because it's like you got to think, and we're going to talk about this in a second, like all the dramatic bits that were happening there, and this pans over to him delivering that intro. And, like, you know, if he was screwed it up, like, everybody involved would have been like, damn it, we have to do this again. But it, it, it worked really, really well. I wish you were smoking a cigarette, though. That would have been amazing. Like, yeah. the, the, the softest touch or softest or taste. Just, Oasis. <laughs> or if he just had his feet up on it, <laughs> just smoking a cigarette. <laughs> like, he stubs a cigarette on, on the Bible, you know, or whatever. He's just, like, talking. <laughs> oh, it's Easter weekend this weekend. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh. Perfect. All right. So yeah, um, let's just let's just get into this episode. It it starts off one of the 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 most confusing and coolest intros to an episode ever. I'll just yeah, say that. I'm I'm gonna preface this episode as well by saying uh this dialogue and and character introductions, they happen so fast. Um it really takes a little while to re- figure out what's actually happening within the first I would say 10 minutes of this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I thought maybe I just was zoning out, but I went back and watched it again. And they, this thing moves at a breakneck speed. Um, And and there's not much information given to you, um, but they just move past people. And you don't know who's actually going to be a main character when you see them in the courtroom. Um, so it starts out, there's two men sitting at a desk and it's all dark around them. It's a fantastic shot. And we know from past episodes, John Bram came from the German expressionist movement. So uh, we've seen this dreamlike atmosphere, especially in, uh, stuff like judgment night and time enough at last mirror image and stuff. Um, and, uh, it, it, it just looks fantastic and slowly the lights come on and it reveals that you're in a courtroom and the jury's walking in and it, it's such a great introduction to this episode. And the camera like pulls back or it's an edit because sh- you see Adam and his lawyer. And then all of a sudden it's like the lights come on, like, and it's like you just see the jury walking in and it is, it's very like, it, it's not off putting, it's disorienting and it's awesome. 
Like I, like you said, about 10 minutes in, I'm like, I have no idea what's going on, but I love that clearly from a production standpoint, you had these actors walking in almost a dark set, knowing the lights were going to come on and they had to act normal. It was a really cool intro to the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, if the jury comes in and you're, uh, I don't know what you want to call him, your main juror, your, uh, foreman, he walks out and says, uh, that the, he's guilty of murder. So the judge has him rise and he sentences him to death. So as they're taking him out of the courtroom, he's, or as he sentences him, he starts laughing and he says like, you you can't kill me again and stuff. And he gets really upset after. And it's, it's a great, was it last episode or two episodes where we had that great laugh? Oh, um, yeah. I don't All I know is it was the rip and winkle caper, I think. Yeah. Uh, so with this too, before he laughed, well, he actually kind of like is breaking. So Adam's like, clearly he seems like he's like elsewhere. Right. Whenever the, yeah. like the, the judge yeah, being passed, his hair is messed up. He yeah. seems disheveled. Um, um he, he kind of looks nervous and sweaty. And, another sweaty performance yeah and when the judge is passing down his judgment he's mouthing it word for word matching the judge yes and, yeah and, and it's like and that's the point where he's like you know if you guys do this if you kill me you're all gonna die like you kill me you die and he's being yeah so he yeah. confronts the da and the editor which uh those are uh henry and paul he confronts them and says uh make them realize it's a dream if you prosecute me, you're prosecuting yourselves and everyone in the world. Like yeah. basically tells that he's going to sentence the entire world to death if he dies. And so, uh, interesting way to start the episode. Yeah, and he gets pulled out. <laughs> he gets pulled out of the courtroom, and you have Sterling just being as happy as can be in the witness box. Yeah. So then we cut to the jail, and uh, we get this nice. It's just this panning shot going across each prisoner in the jail, and you have Coley playing harmonica. He pan it past uh, uh, what was the other character's name? Jigs, um, and it, we finally get to Adam in his cell, and he's covering his ears and he's freaking him out, uh, just freaking out, and he tells him to lay off the harmonica and stuff. Um, and he has some dialogue with Jigs talking about uh, just you know you got you got to stop thinking about it. You just it's gonna happen. Just enjoy your last moments alive well like, he tells that you're, the, you're gonna lose your mind if you keep freaking out about the, this yeah but he tells the gentleman playing the harmonica he's like it's not your fault i got you out of a bad movie once just like everything about this corny dream so he's basically yeah. apologizing to the guy playing the harmonica it's like it's not your fault i don't know what movie i saw you in but you're here <laughs> and like that's when i started like like i started to like put together i'm like something bigger is going on in this episode and yeah, because the courtroom yeah. thing, he yells that, like, make them realize it's a dream like that. We're making a big deal talking about it, but it comes out so fast. Yeah. And it's so confusing because they're pulling him away and he's just screaming at everyone that you don't really take in what he's saying the first time you watch this. But, but clearly, so, yeah, yeah, you're right. When he does tell Coley this, like, I'm sorry for making you this way and pulling you out of a movie and stuff. Uh, it, it you start realizing, like, uh oh. Like something, something is not right here. Well, and, and credit to Dennis Weaver, like, and I'll keep probably saying this over the episode, like he, he is convinced, like you, you never question his belief in what is going on. And he is so committed to delivering it. And, but he's also so convinced that it, it's all inevitable. 
you know, and you yeah. really kind of buy into that like fatalism of like, well, this is all me, and I'm sorry that I brought you into this. I saw you in a movie. It's not your fault. It is. It is. It is one of these stories so far, and we'll get to all of, you know when we're done here. This one feels light years ahead of some of the narratives we've gotten so far in the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, we talk about, like, bad twists and tacked on twists and stuff. There is a twist in this episode, but he's so convinced of what's going on that you know what the ending is going to be from the beginning. But the journey to get there is so fantastic. It's yeah. so great that, it, like, I didn't even care that I knew the ending. Um, <laughs> there was probably... There was one little piece of doubt, and we'll get there when we get to the part of the uh, plot, that I started thinking, like, maybe he is crazy, and maybe this is him just trying to get out of uh, the death penalty. But, like, for the most part, it, you know that he's not crazy when yeah. you're watching this. So, yeah, so he tells Jigs, like, you're, you're mentioning, like, he's telling Jigs about, like, you know, you don't understand, and, and Jigs is like, you, you know basically like stop thinking about it, i'll drive you crazy and so he basically tells jake step by step what's going to happen and there's a wonderful split screen effect that's very dreamlike of him explaining the process of being walked to the electric chair and i was not expecting this in this episode this felt like it was um like some of the some of the the uh ideas in this reminded me of citizen Kane and I'm not saying this episode is like the height of cinema, but some of the <laughs> modern storytelling devices that John Brom uses to, to kind of explain ideas. I like, I was knocked kind of sideways being like, this is kind of modern storytelling and it works so well. Yeah. Um, and I, again, uh, interesting thing is that Dennis Weaver's character, a lot of times is almost looking straight into the camera yeah. as he's, uh, either talking about the dream or talking about the uh, going to the electric chair. And it's, it's definitely off putting, but I like how uh, Jigs is like, shut up to stop talking. And he's like, no, 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 you opened this box. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> like, and he goes through the whole process of explaining what happens about going to the electric chair. And then being the whole thing about like, like you don't expect everything the way it feels. And he says something about like when they put things down, it's initially cold, but then like it's just, he explains step by step what it is meant to be electrocuted and jigs is yeah, kind of and, like bothered and even by it. down to the smell of the hood that they put over yes. you like it, those specifics not just like walking down the hall and getting strapped into a chair like specifics like smells and the feels um but yeah and then it gets to the point of the description where they pull the switch to electrocute you and it does a fast cut over to s sizzling steaks being pulled out of an oven which is uh, some really black comedy for this episode. Which I didn't for an realize. Otherwise, very serious episode. I, in the second time I watched it, and this is one of those episodes. Even after you know what's going on, I feel like watching a second time warrants because once you figure out what's going on, that cut is so fast and immediate, and the sound of the steak sizzling out of the oven is just it. It is like I was watching this with headphones on. It bothered me, you know, and. Um, and it felt like a moderate it made me laugh. I don't know what's wrong <laughs> but, but because it was a sudden loud noise. It was, it's a good cut. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, but it's like, it's a very modern edit, you know? And it, it was like, and I keep saying modern as in like this, this thing's primitive and stone age. It's not, it's just that like, I'll be honest, like once they did this transition, I didn't know that the story they're telling was going on like beside, like alongside, uh, Adam in prison. 
I thought for a brief second that this was going back to before of like whatever yeah. led up to the murder. So I was confused because I'm sorry, you get a bunch of white guys with dark hair in the twilight zone being shot on black and white. I was confused yeah. for a second as to what was well, going on. And they're introduced in the courtroom for a split second. Like yeah. you have, it, there's no reason that you would expect those people that you see in the courtroom to end up coming back to be major characters in this episode. So it, it is confusing. Yeah. And, um, as far as the storytelling goes, I mean, these are the episodes. This is the reason why we do the show is because of episodes like this is the reason people still talk about the show is because it was ahead of its time and it still holds up. But have you heard um, anybody mention this episode in like their top like episodes? Never. never. And I've never heard of this episode. I've never seen it. Never. I've never seen it on a list of episodes like <laughs> This is quite possibly the most underrated episode we've covered <laughs> for this show. Yeah. Um, and again, Charles Beaumont, like just amazing ideas being brought to the show. He He's aware of structure like like throughout. Right. Because he knows. Yeah. And yeah. Well, and I think it helps. Like I brought up the short story that this is based on that he did five years previous to this. I think it helps a lot of the times that he does the teleplay of his own short story. So he's able to fix the mistakes he may have made and give a better pacing. And you can tell he has a clear idea of how the show structure works and how the pacing for TV should be. Yeah. Cause like I said, some, some of the stuff and it, it might be the director's fault for it being confusing with character introductions and everything. Uh, maybe it was done on purpose because it does throw you off. Like, the whole thing catches you yeah, off guard. It so. all feels unsettling and like a bad dream, which I mean, not to tip the hand too much, but it is very, yeah. it's very confusing. And, and, and I mean, I, once you get to the end to figure out what's going on, like you can't tell me that you've not had nights where you've woken up being like, why was I thinking of these separate ideas being jammed together? And that's what this whole thing felt like the entire time. Yeah. So we cut the steaks are being pulled out of the oven and you hear the doorbell ring. They're the biggest steaks in the world, by the way. Did you see how oh, big? They look so good. Like, they, they look they, so they, good. They kind of did, but it was like, they're huge. Like, did you, did you attack the dinosaur from the flight of Odyssey flight 33 or whatever it was well, to get those that's steaks? That's funny. Uh, you bring up dinosaurs and, uh, cause uh, that might have something to do with the short story. Uh, so oh. she goes and answers the door and the editor, the press guy who is in the courtroom, uh, Paul, he's at the door and he's uh, kind of drunk, I guess. <laughs> and you could tell he's stressed out and he immediately comes in and goes to poor Jen. And uh, he goes to Henry and he's like, you know, there's, there's only a few more hours left. And the wife gets mad immediately because he lets this drunk guy into the house and they're both being kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of morose, I guess. Um, so she ends up going to bed and with the steaks uh, st still needing five minutes in the oven, by the way. So she just leaves yeah. them just cooking, which fine. She's upset. I get it. But it's just like, he's like, what about dinner? She's like five more minutes. And she just goes to bed. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so it Paul's Paul's terrified and he believes there's something more to what Grant was saying in the, uh, in the courtroom. So eventually it, there's some back and forth and he tells Hank, like you need to go and see him and figure it out for yourself. Yeah. So we go back to the prison and Alan, uh, Oh, Adam, here we go. <laughs> I told Paul before we started this episode, um, uh, this character's name is Adam Grant. 
And I wrote down Alan Grant multiple times from Jurassic Park. Um, so I apologize I mean, if I do this again. We spare no um, expense with this series. I don't know what people <laughs> yeah. like. So Adam's waiting for the DA Henry. Um, or is it the DNA? The dino DNA? You don't know. Uh, anyway, sorry. The dino <laughs> DA. <laughs> <laughs> it's dino DA. Anyway, I'm sorry. Please. Let, let's, I will talk about dinosaurs until the end of this episode. Let's keep some mosquitoes get stuck in the sap. Um, so he's talking to Jigs and he's like, usually somebody, the DA comes at the same time every day. And uh, eventually Hank walks, walks up and, uh, he shows up right on time. And, well, even uh, even Adam is pointing out that Jiggs is wearing a, a watch with a glass watch face, saying that doesn't make sense because electric chair. You know, he says something about how like you can't let a prisoner wear a glass watch face if they're on death row. He yeah. he kind of he's kind of like hinting that his own narrative doesn't add up because he's admitting the um the weaknesses of uh, of what he knows what what he of all he knows. Right. So he mentions that the DA is going to show up. And then when he does show up, it's like it's inevitable. But it's like he's he's actively mentioning how even he realizes that none of this makes sense. Yeah. And even later on, he talks about how, like, uh, everything feels like a movie. And it's because he hasn't actually seen Death Row or Jail and everything. So he does that a few times throughout the episode. But, yeah, they they have a conversation. He's he's tells him that, like he doesn't actually exist and he just dreamed him up. And sometimes the DA isn't you, it's a different person and everything. So, um, at one point he starts mouthing along again with Hank (laughs) and, uh, uh, he basically tells him like, you don't know anything about me. You don't know me. Like all you know is what happened today. Yeah. And, uh, Hank gets really mad and tries to disprove his story. And, uh, there's some great, inception things with dream inside of a dream and how a dream builds itself and the um yeah because hank hank says well what about our parents and their parents parents he's like it doesn't matter a dream builds its own world yeah he said and then he's like well how how can you explain like i go to sleep and i dream too how can you explain that and he tells him that he only sleeps and dreams because that i dream you that way (laughs) yeah that's a dark that's a dark messed up statement like yeah yeah like like I said, that's like dreams inside of dreams. Like fantastic. That's some that's some great uh, great ideas that Charles Beaumont's bringing. But, this. but then Hank kind of accuses him. Was like, well, why are you scared? And then Adam's like, because it's like, have you ever like felt pain or like basically it's the whole notion of like if you're having a dream that you're falling, you want to wake up because you don't want to feel the sensation of hitting the ground, right? So it's kind of that idea where he's like every night I dream that I'm being electrocuted and I don't want to experience the sensation over and over and over again. So the panic for him is why should I be in this loop of being constantly put through that? So that's why he's scared. And I I think that's a very real like fear of if I know this is inevitable and I'm trying to avoid it, even though I may not understand everything going on, I know how this ends and I don't want yeah. it to end this way again. So I'm going to try to maybe reason with all my dream people and say, Hey, let me out and we could all live, which is a very, like a weird rational thought and a very irrational story. Yeah. Um, it, it, this is the best part of his performance in this episode is his talks with, uh, Henry in the cell here. Um, very convincing stuff. Yeah. Uh, for such a ridiculous story, you know? Um, so, yeah, he he basically tells him, like, if you keep me alive, 
if you help me, I'll keep you alive in my dreams. <laughs> um, so he tells him if if he doesn't believe him to go home and check the check the steak in the oven. If you go home uh, now, it'll end up being something else. So he rushes home and he opens the oven and there's a roast in in there instead of the steaks now. So two things, like, well, I guess three yeah, things. The, One, so the, those steaks have been in there the entire time he went to the <laughs> to the prison. Thing. Is that what you're gonna yeah. bring up? <laughs> like, so I was like, wow, you just almost set fire to your fake house too. Yeah. Almost he, almost killed your uh, your wife that you're fighting to keep alive, uh, Carol. <laughs> two, <laughs> almost burned the house down with her in it. It is the most dramatic moment I'll ever see. Someone staring at a roast in an oven with dramatic horns cutting to commercial. I think I'll ever see yeah. in any TV yeah. show. It is very dramatic. He's just like he pulls it out and like Paul's like, what's going on? like that's a roast and it goes to commercial and i'm like like i that's very that's a dramatic roast and then three like (laughs) the way he delivers it too is like that's a roast (laughs) he he literally adam literally raises the stakes like like think about that i didn't think about that till right now like (laughs) but but it's like how health does he live right by the prison does he just wander over he's like ah you know the stakes are fine i'll go talk to the prisoner oh i should probably take the stakes out of the oven like like hey it's it's dream time logic like it's true that all happened within five minutes it's true like I, I i don't know about you but i i try to actively remember the dreams i have anymore because they go in some really dumb places but everything feels like it makes sense at the time and i wake up i'm like what the hell was i thinking you yeah know? I, I just remember places which kind of plays into this because like i always think i'm somewhere like yeah. I'll, I'll be at at like my college or at like my parents house but it won't be those locations it'll be like some random place <laughs> Um, so it kind of plays into this episode. It'll bit. be somebody that looks kind of familiar or something. Um, but yeah, so we cut back to the jail again and, um, Jiggs is telling him that he's crazy and maybe he should play that up because they won't execute somebody who is, uh, mentally insane. Oh, what's uh, he say? He, he, uh, he might let you go on a psycho is what he says. I'm like, that's a, that's a weird turn of phrase, you know? And then he also said, they don't burn guys with loose cogs. Like yeah. I love, I love the, just the dialogue. Cause it's like, I don't think I'd ever say those phrases out loud, but I love it. Yeah. And then he questions his own dream logic with the, uh, the fact that he was tried and sentenced on the same day. Yes. And, uh, that's when he brings up that he's like this, this whole prison, uh, the courtroom, everything feels like a movie. Like I've never been in a courtroom. I've never been to death row. And he's just, his dream is just his impression of what it would be like. So the fact that there's the, there's Coley playing harmonica and you know, like he's got his watch on and like everything is just his impression. And I, I kind of like it. Cause like, even when you go back and watch it uh, a second time, the courtroom is very exaggerated. It is um, like, I feel like the judge is really high up. Um, everything seems a little bit too big and I, I it might just be the set. It, it could just be, but it it has a very dreamlike quality to it, and I love that explanation of it. Well, and he, even if it yeah. was just a bad set, it's a great explanation. <laughs> well, he says he says real death houses aren't like that, which I think is an interesting statement. And then um, uh, he goes on to say, "That's my impression of it," you know. And yeah. so then um, it cuts back to um, uh, yeah, Hank, and, Hank Paul and Paul talking, they're stressed out because they're at his, they're at um, Hank's place and they're still talking things through. 
and at one point they're like discussing things and, and uh and Paul's like I've talked to him like basically Paul is kind of believing uh Alan Alan Adam you had me doing it now um you know this is the way I dream it it's fine um so Paul is rattled because he he's like you know maybe this guy this guy isn't crazy and they keep saying over and over again that like basically they did like a like a psych profile of him like it's implied that like he's rational it's just that what he's saying is outrageous, but they don't feel that he is like mentally incapacitated, even though Paul's kind of arguing it, but he kind of believes him. And then at yeah. one point, Hanks was like, he's like, well, but, but because movies are technically accurate. And I like that statement because you know what? <laughs> movies are hundred percent accurate and they're always true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how many movies Hank has seen in dream world, but I like that they're technically accurate, and but hey, I also it like be, it would be harder to fact check movies back in 1961 than it is now. So I mean, clearly, the Return to Peyton Place had some serious discussion about what happened there. Uh, but <laughs> I like um, I like the idea, and I, I was if the first time I watched this and not realizing entirely what was going on, and the second time I watched this, the idea that we as viewers of this episode are being taken away from Adam's. Um, situation to watch other characters question the reality of their own existence is very bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all part of, I, I, mean, I, I guess, spoiler. Yeah. Like it, this is all part of Adam's dream. So you're just watching an extension of what's going on in his mind. Yeah. Which I mean, I don't, from all the dreams I can recall, it's always from first person. I never, I never do a brief aside to something else that's going on, but no. <laughs> you know, like, um, but in this one, it's almost like, um, Oh, it's almost like Horton. Here's a who, right? Like, Oh, and someone's, there's a noise in the background anyway. Um, so Horton, here's a who you have the, 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 the citizens of Whoville and this little tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of fluff, right? And he can hear it. And like, so they don't exist to anybody else, but to him. So it's almost kind of like that, where they start to question, like, if we can't convince him, then we're going to be devastated. And I kind of, I never thought I'd get Dr. Susie in on an episode of Twilight Zone, but it's yeah. very, it's very bizarre. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing because again, it took me watching this twice to put everything together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at that point we go back to the prison and, uh, uh, the uh, prison guards come and they uh, they pick him up and they're bringing him finally to the chair. And you got Jigs uh, yelling at the cops. He's yelling, you screws. You're all just dreams. You don't <laughs> exist. <laughs> I, I love that. So yeah. they sit him down and uh, then we uh, then Father Beeman enters. And uh, he's going to pray for him. And I love how uh, Adam basically tells him there's no need to pray. Yes. And he realizes that he looks... What was that? Not in a nightmare. There's no need for praying a nightmare is what he says. Yeah. Great line. Um, so he realizes that he looks familiar. And when he says his name, he's like, oh, yeah, Father Beeman from whatever church I used to go to when I was younger. I went to your funeral when I was like 10 years old. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the priest's face is amazing during that. And he was replaced by uh, a priest Carter, um, who I think he says he was the one. Uh, who was uh, Paul 
I yeah, think something that like the that. Place. He says he's the editor. He used the, yeah, the yeah. He used Isaac. I use I use Carson as the editor, but I think you said Carter. I think that's probably right. I wrote that wrong. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know, but yeah, I Carson, Paul, Paul Carson. Carson. He's like, I, thing, Car- so. yeah, I I misunderstood that as the editor of his story at the time watching this, as opposed to the editor of the paper. And I was like, wow, yeah, that's really they had meta. A press table in the courtroom. Yeah. There's a thing that's at press. So he was yeah. like the, the, the news editor that was in the courtroom. Yeah. I like that father Beeman just kind of looks at him and has no response and just does the, like the, the stations of the cross and then the thieves. Yeah. And that's it. Like, he's like, I don't want know what to do. I guess I'm going to cross you. I'm out. And that's the, <laughs> that was, that was it. Yeah. So he's trying to like figure out who the other people are. And uh, they finally lead him away. And um, so it, we cut back to Paul and Henry. And there, it's like two minutes to midnight, which uh, I think is an interesting time to pick um, for the end of basically the world. Well, and um, they talk about that, too. They're like, why does this happen at midnight? Because like, it always happens. And I think that's where he says, you know, they're talking about this. It's like, because that's when executions happen. And that's when these dramatic decisions happen. Like they, like Hank is basically saying, that's the way it always is. And Paul's like, why is this? It's, it's yeah. a very, it is a very meta conversation before the idea of meta is introduced. Yeah. So they're trying to get the stay of execution. Hank calls the governor and uh, they decide to stop it. And they're trying to get through in time. But eventually the flip still gets switched before the governor can get through to the executioner. Um, So as they're waiting to hear back whether or not the execution goes through, uh, they're standing looking at the clock. The phone starts to ring. But then the clock disappears. And then the table and the lamp disappear. And then slowly the lights fade out. And then we, the camera comes down in the darkness, and we go back to the beginning of the episode again. We're back in the courtroom. Except, but, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, like, this time, when the lights come on, um, I, do you want to go through the no, reveal it, here? No, no, Carson is the head of the jury, and then Jiggs mm-hmm. is the judge. And then somebody yep. completely different is the editor. So it kind of leans into what he was saying about how the face has changed, but the story doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, so you find out that he's still stuck in this nightmare yeah. of uh, being put to death every night. One of the darkest endings we've had in the Twilight Zone. You know? Yeah, literally. They turn the lights out on <laughs> <laughs> Um I was going to say that I am disappearing living room. Like That was kind of an interesting tell about like reality rearranging itself because it's a dream. And then once um, you figure out what's going on, you see the same actions play out where like judge asked for the, the, you know, the, the foreman to, to deliver the verdict. And then from that point, it all goes to like Serling doing a voiceover, but you see Adam like reacting the same way. So it's almost like a silent moment and it plays really, really well because Serling's talking about it. And it has this much more of like just like a hammer of an ending, like yeah. it's 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 and his closing solid. narration is great too on this. Yeah. He it's definitely not overwritten like the past couple episodes that we've had. Absolutely, yeah. So um, and maybe it was the imagery underneath it that really played it up, but um, yeah, what what a fantastic episode, and I I wasn't expecting it at all. So <laughs> I will admit that like my, my feeling about this episode went up the second time around and then I, it's went up further talking to you about it. Um, just because like, so, and not to, to tip my hand too much, when we get to the twist of realizing what was going on, that was like, it was fairly obvious about halfway through. Once I figured out the narrative structure, 
Uh, yeah. The interplay of the different elements, I wasn't expecting. So that raised it a couple notches for me. Yeah, that's why I said predictable ending, but the uh, the journey to get there was really fun. Yeah. So like it was it was so enjoyable to watch how it all played out and how exactly it was going to come back because um, you knew he was going to be stuck in the dream like there's no stopping it and you knew it was going to be a dream. But how it all played out exactly and how expertly everything switched around at the end um, was just so much fun to watch unfold. So and uh, as I say, yeah, I just yeah. Uh, like I, I just forever impressed with Charles Beaumont on this show. <laughs> Like this, again, this is an author I had never read before we started doing this episode. And uh, the short story was not nearly as solid as this okay. episode was. Um, there's no wraparound with the courtroom. It literally starts with uh, different character names, but basically Henry and Paul sitting around discussing this. Um, and that he goes to the jail and talks to him and everything. And he tells him that's a dream. But at the end, uh, um, Adam's character basically wakes up as like almost a dinosaur <laughs> like <laughs> lizard monster thing and there are other monsters coming across this like desert to throw him into a bottomless pit it gets very surreal and very very goofy um, I, I, don't, I don't know if goofy is the right word but very like 1950s sci-fi um, I, I can definitely see why they changed it <laughs> for the episode. So this a dinosaur wouldn't have had the dramatic punch that it did. <laughs> if uh, we cut to the next scene and Adam woke up as like a lizard monster. <laughs> oh, what was the what was the name of the lizard monster that Shatner fought in the um, the Twilight not Twilight Zone the Star Trek uh, the Gorn? Uh, like, what if it was one of the Gorn? <laughs> and they're like, oh, you you had a dream of this weird procedural thing with the humans, and now you're a Gorn, and we're going to throw yeah. you in a pit. I. Yeah. As much as that would be a but, way worse episode, I would probably stand up and cheer at the end. <laughs> it, it works, <laughs> like in print, like in the story, like it, it kind of works because all of a sudden, like you're listening to it, and especially like I had seen the episode before, and as I'm listening to it, I I have the audiobook on Audible for all these ones. And I was listening to it, and I'm like, all right, this is pretty close to the thing. Like I kind of zoned out, and all of a sudden, he's describing like. Adam waking up with his multiple eyes and looking across the desert at these monsters that are coming towards him. And I was like, hold on. I rewound it like five <laughs> minutes to get there because it just comes out of nowhere. But like, it makes sense as far as dream logic. And it, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I just, I'm so glad that he decided to write that out of the teleplay. Yeah. <laughs> it would not have played. And like I said, the dramatic punch of this episode of it just looping back to the beginning was so much more effective well, and uh, it, and it keeps, from like a, a television standpoint. Yeah. And it keeps everything. Like if you start poking the logic through the entire thing, they openly acknowledge it and they talk about it and then it keeps going on. So you can't be like, well, because it is one man's reoccurring dream of punishment for whatever reason over and over again. So you can't really, you really can't tear apart the logic because it's a dream and there's no logic to a dream. And so I feel like this, this idea of this constant repeating like punishment for whatever reason, this guy, like you don't even know why he started conjuring this up in his head. Like it, it holds up years later because you can't poke holes in the idea. You know, it's so, it's so amorphous. Yeah. Yeah, 
I, I I apologize if my my dog is freaking out at something in the backyard. So if he's coming through the mic, I apologize. No, that's fine. He's probably just like, no, 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 no. If if I if I wake up, we all die. And I'm like, just calm down. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's some lizard monsters coming <laughs> to take me into a bottomless hole. Uh, <laughs> as long as it's not the pit from uh oh from that shitty movie we watched. Um, that's fine. What was that? What was that smoky pit that we saw? Um. Oh, oh, the one for the show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. Um, oh, Why can I man. not think of the movie? <laughs> for the movie. Encounter with the Unknown. As long yeah. as it's not that smoky pit from Encounter with the Unknown, I'm okay with it. So, wow, th- that says a lot about that movie that a month <laughs> or two months past uh, talking about it, we can't even Seven times title. seven. So, um, oh, a couple things I'm going to take from this episode. One, you didn't even mention the greatest bit of dialogue in this episode, whenever Hank's talking to Paul and he's drunk and he's like, so like just gone. He says, he says to Paul, Oh, shut up, Paul. That's the greatest. Like I now gift that to you and to everybody listens to the show. As I'm rambling, you could just tell me to, Oh, shut up, Paul. And I will keep that forever. So if I feel like I'm going on too long, I might have to program that into my mixer so I can (laughs) press it on my side. (laughs) I just like how, like just very matter of fact, it is like, Oh, shut up. Yeah, um, that that was eclipsed by the uh, it's a roast. <laughs> so. Yeah, dramatic roast. So, um, so notes I have from uh, just reading about this. So, actor Wright King or King Wright or King Wrong, however you want to call him, Paul, who was supposed to shut up, he said, "I am ashamed to admit that I found Shadow Play obscure. I managed to short sort out." the character's lines of thought and my two or three scenes well enough to satisfy director john bram i've seen the show two times and have yet to make it out truly a first for me he didn't understand what was going on and he was in it so i thought that was interesting um in the uh tom cruise movie which i know you love mr tom cruise sorry thomas yeah. cruise uh vanilla sky um his character dreams he's in times square and on the jumbotron and somewhere is playing a clip from this episode and the, the movie Vanilla Sky, which I've seen oh, Vanilla nice. Sky. I didn't put two and two together. That kind of yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have remembered that yeah. at all. But um, that's interesting. Yeah, that's cool. That's that's interesting shorthand. That's kind of a nice nod to what's going on in that film as well. So yeah, um, the white horse statue figure that's in um, Hank's house showed up in a most unusual camera. So again, connected universe. So I thought that was interesting. And also, this episode was remade with the same title in the 80s, Twilight Zone, um, when they redid it there. And uh, Peter Coyote played Adam Grant, which Peter Coyote, I could pro- if I saw him, I'd recognize him. I know he was in E.T. and he's been in a bunch of other stuff. But I, I kind of want to watch the 80s version of this to see how how much further they push the surrealness of it. Yeah. Um, you sure it wasn't Sam Neill that plays Adam? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Um, and then also, this was adapted for the radio. He, he would have done great. Could you imagine Samuel in well, the main role? Dude, in you see, in the, in the mouth of like, madness is basically yeah. a lot of this, right? Like just this constant yeah, similar. Yeah, um, this was adapted for the radio, which we've talked about this briefly sometimes with the Twilight Zone radio dramas. Ernie Hudson played Adam Grant, so you got Winston Zedmore playing Adam Grant. So I appreciate that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, good yeah, episode. Um, as far as my notes, I'm trying to see if there, I had anything else in this. Um, yeah, just uh, really interesting ideas presented. Um, kind of confusing, but it 
it seems like it was done on purpose and it pays off for rewatch value, which we've had a lot of episodes recently that we thought were okay that we'd never return to. This is one that I would totally feel okay showing people mm-hmm. uh, if it came over and ended up watching some Twilight Zone episodes. Like I, I, I think not enough people have seen uh, or talk about this episode. Yeah, that's why I was like, I felt, I felt like this was one of those ones where it's like, considering how strong it is. And how bizarre it is that this wasn't like mentioned. Like I, I, I just and never, and yeah. how good it looks. Like I, you know, I usually talk about the visuals. I just a lot of times with the Charles Beaumont episodes, I get so caught up on the ideas and the storytelling that I don't get to the thing that I love about film and TV is the is the visuals. Um, yeah, it, this this episode looks incredible. Yeah. Like so I knew, I, it's just yeah. all together, like great performances, great story, great ideas, uh, great narration, great visuals. Like I, I really, other than the fact that the first 10 minutes is jarring, um, I don't have, but it's jarring for a reason, you know, like, yeah, yeah that, that's yeah. what I mean. Like yeah. I, I feel like it was done on purpose. So I, I don't even want to really complain about that. Yeah, I just questioned the cooking of the steaks, but that's just me. Other than that, it's fine. <laughs> you know, but yeah, no, it's a good episode. Like I said, in talking with you about it, like I, I was, it wasn't that I was lukewarm to it. I think technically, from a narrative standpoint, I was really impressed with it, and I was um, definitely, I was impressed with uh, Dennis Weaver in this. He's the MVP, obviously. He carries the whole thing. You believe it, and it's great. Um, it just, just kind of like, like opening it up and, and discussing it with you. I realized like how. This this was it's ahead of its time, you know, and I don't usually say that for much of the Twilight Zone in terms of its presentation. It's more of its ideas. The, this one, I feel like it needs to be um, looked at in a different light if people have not given this one a chance. Yeah. Um, and again, I am going to stress if you haven't purchased it, that uh, perchance to dream the selected stories of Charles Beaumont uh, is on Amazon the Kindle edition right now is on sale for four ninety nine. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. I it this thing like guys, if you haven't picked this up yet, I know I've brought it up probably multiple times as we talk about Charles Beaumont. Um, I I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's it's so good, and for five bucks for the Kindle edition, like how can you not pick it up? Yeah. And if you have uh, if you're part of uh, uh, Audible, I mean you can get the audiobook for free because you get the one a month, and the audiobook has a bunch of. Uh, great people doing the uh, storytelling in it. So um, yeah, yeah pl- please go check that out. It's it, his stuff is amazing. Even though I think the short story is a little inferior to this uh, teleplay, it's still definitely worth reading. If nothing else for th- him waking up as a lizard monster, <laughs> <laughs> the Gorn, I don't, I know he has multiple eyes. I'm just gonna think of the Gorn and I'm gonna think of Bill I Shatner. Just, uh, uh, fighting him. It's, it's be this amazing. weekend when I see you, I'm going to play you the end of that story, and you're going to be so baffled. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. It will be amazing. So, yeah, let's just um, let's just try to rate the twist. This one's confusing to me because I give it a two because I, I'm I was aware it was a dream the entire time, but it bumps up to a three for me because I didn't expect the dreams to debate whether they were dreams, you know, like that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that was so bizarre to me. Yeah. It, it hurts to give this a lower score for the twist meter. But like I said, this, this story isn't relying on the twist um, yeah. to tell the story. 
Like it, it, t- it tells you up front. It's 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 blatant yeah. about what's going on. Yeah, it's it's very blunt. Within the first two minutes, he yells at the guy that this is a dream. Tell them that this is a dream. Like, and the fact that he presents it so straightforward with his performance, like you know exactly what's going to happen, but how you get there is so entertaining. It hurts to only give it a three, and I'm going to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because um, like, I uh, this we're how many episodes we have left in the season? Like, not many, like three, like or three four. or four. Yeah. Like we're getting there to the end of this, and uh, I can definitely say this is going to show up on my top list for this season. <laughs> I <laughs> um, it had it had no devil with weird horns running through it, so I don't know. If ah, it's gonna- <laughs> yeah, I know. You know me so well. <laughs> it had no howling men in it. I don't know if it's going to make yeah. it. Uh, um, so uh, uh, you know me. You know me too well. Um, <laughs> I look forward to our top five because I think there's going to be, I don't know, like we'll get there. This one, this season has been, I feel like season one, there are, uh, there are definitely those episodes are like, yeah, those are the best. And everyone kind of agrees, but going into season two, I feel like there's some episodes that I love that some other people don't. Well, I feel like that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a little bit stranger in season two. So I think it's going to be a really fun conversation. I just kind of put this in the same shelf as I would the chaser where I, I know you weren't as much about the chaser as I was, but it was like sight unseen, not knowing I was about to get into and being like, wow, this is a different type of episode. And I still look back fondly on the chaser as being that oddball, just fun, snappy episode. And this one's more, it is a waking nightmare and it is not expected because based upon Serling's intro that I read terribly last, last week about being like part of a judge and jury, I was expecting a much more courtroom drama. And this thing takes a hard right out of the gate. And it was, it, you know, like, I guess the more I talk about it, the more it's rising up my list, but this is a very interesting and again, I just cannot believe that this is not being talked about. Maybe because it is so odd. Maybe that's why people don't put it up there because it requires like multiple multiple watches to put the pieces together. Yeah, but hey, you've had time to watch it at least twice, right? It's yes, been out for fifty. That's true. Years. You know. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's rated pretty highly. Um, I, I the places that do talk about it. Uh, people seem to look back on it fondly. People do like it that appreciate it. But um, yeah, I, I just this isn't one that gets played during the marathon for sure. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate. It it probably should be. I feel like this would be one where people couldn't talk during it. I'd be like, I'd be like, just like shut up and watch it. Like you, you in the crowd, you be quiet. You're gonna watch this episode. <laughs> like, and imagine like, if he did turn into a lizard at the end. Then they'd be really confused if they were talking through it. Yeah, I mean, this would just suddenly become yeah. the greatest episode ever. But yeah, but it's still a pretty good one. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, yeah, uh, yeah that, great stuff. I, I this was, um, and, and so the phrase shadow play comes from a way of storytelling where they would do shadows on the wall and that all makes sense. And then, so your perspective changes as the story goes along and it's all in. So that all kind of makes sense yeah. too, because it never and, really, and it's a type of puppeteering, yes. I guess. So, so like the fact that you're controlling the shadows on the wall and everything, uh, plays into the story. So yeah. it, great title. Yeah. The good title, good episode. And it, it doesn't give away at all what the episode is. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Um, so, and I feel like the short story title, it, like the, about yeah, the, the I was going to yeah. say the, the, uh, trauma or however, I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, 
yeah, that that title is pretty terrible. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, yeah, uh, that, that that'll, that'll do it for Shadow Play. Uh, so, Kevin, how can people get a hold of us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Strange Highways Podcast. Uh, join in the conversations on there. You can email us or leave us a voicemail at Strange Highways Podcast at Gmail dot com. Uh, we are also on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Satchel, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, we are there. And it would really help us out if you would rate and review us on there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, get, the, get the word out to some other listeners. And, uh, hey, if you've been watching along with us, just let other people know. Uh, you know, post it on Facebook that you've been loving the Twilight Zone. Because uh, it, it's been my recent M.O. to get into things way late. So uh, <laughs> 50 years, two years, whatever. Um, yeah. Well, I've been going through the Fast and Furious movies and <laughs> everyone I talk to, I'm like, have you seen these movies? And they're like, yeah, like 20 years ago. Like, yeah. Oh. Okay. And I had a friend recently post, uh, like actually as of yesterday, they said, Hey, I need something to watch while I'm working on my knitting. And like, they're like, I need a half hour show. And someone that was not me mentioned the twilight zone. So kudos to them. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Like, that's what I mean. Like tell people watch twilight zone. If they enjoy it, like let it, let them know, let them know about our show. Yeah. I mean, like so. sometimes we have good conversation time. Sometimes we get drunk and talk about dead racehorses. I mean, it's really, yeah. it's or really people getting partially decapitated <laughs> yeah. by uh, helicopters, you know, or lead actors getting the shit beat out of them. So you can only shoot them in profile. Yeah, whatever it's, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so yeah, if you guys like this and let people know, like, cause uh, I, I enjoy this conversation and I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. So next episode is called the mind and the matter. And here I am. I will now read Serling's intro for it and I will butcher it. Uh, next week, the very considerable talents of Mr. Shelley Berman are utilized to bring you another in our weekly excursions into the never, never land of the wild, the woolly and the wonderless. Wonderless? Wondrous. <laughs> uh, he plays the part of a little man who yearns for the serenity of a world without people. And as it happens, he gets his wish to walk unhib un uninhibited earth and face the consequences. Our story is called The Mind and the Matter. I hope you'll see you. Man, I'm messing this up. I hope we'll see you then. And this just isn't a word from the sponsor. It's simply a very good suggestion. It stands for real refreshment. Before we meet again, try Oasis for the softest taste of all. Again, another <laughs> pivot into a cigarette ad at the end of an episode. So I hope you guys don't smoke, but if you do, try Oasis for the softest taste of all. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I have not seen next week's episode before. Yeah. Uh, uh, return of Buzz Kulik on the episode. So we'll see. Very yeah, small cast. The King Nine will return. You know, we'll see yeah. how that goes. So, yeah. So that's going to do it for us this week. I hope you guys enjoyed our talk about Shadow Play. Uh, in the meantime, have a safe week. Um, may you have different dreams every night. But if not, I hope they're not about uh, being electrocuted. And I guess that they, that I would not I would not wish that on anybody. Yeah, and uh, have a happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> yeah, happy Easter. <laughs> no need for prayers. <laughs>
Hank, I've just been insulted by your wife. She says I'm loaded. Well, aren't you? That has nothing to do with it. Oh, shut up, Paul. 